Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. This is Mike Edison, host of Art Senses and Seizures. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, please visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good evening and welcome to Fun About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-hosts to this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. This is our 100th episode and we are really, really excited about it. Before we dive into it, we want to talk about a couple things coming up. Uh, Homebrew Alley 9. Uh, the, the local homebrew competition, one of the largest on the East Coast, uh, put on by the New York City Homebrewers Guild, uh, is happening on February 6th, and we need your help, and we need your entries, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, there's a championship belt, a bunch of great prizes. It's happening in February, on February 6th and 7th. You can go to homebrewalley.com to register your entries or to sign up to judge or steward uh, if you are BJCP or if you just want some experience uh, in, in, in uh, judging and, and knowing beers and just we could use your help. Come on. Come through. Also, uh, Brew for Autism is being put on by our friends in Richmond County. Richmond County is what is uh, is Staten, otherwise known as Staten Island. <laughs> uh, poor Standards Brew, Brew Club, Homebrew Club. Is putting this thing on. It's on January 24th. Um, it's all for a very good cause. Uh, toward It's a benefit for autism um, research and, and care, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Go to brewforautism.com to get tickets if you are in the Richmond County area. And here's Mary. I was going to mention that now that we have, now that my previous project is over, Chris and I have started fermenting other things again. Uh, so we just recently started a sourdough, a new sourdough project. So we started the sourdough. It's good. It's healthy. We just started our first, we're going to use the no need method. So we just mixed up our first batch of bread before we headed to the studio. Um, I will tell you if you want to follow along at home and try this yourself, especially if you've never tried sourdough, we use the pineapple juice solution for our starter. So you're basically lowering the pH of your starter in the beginning to keep out the bad bacteria and to encourage the good bacteria. Where did you hear about that, Mary? So it's, it was originated by Deborah Wink. It's D-E-B-R-A-W-I-N-K. And I found her specific instructions on thefreshloaf.com. So if you just Google Deborah Wink, the pineapple juice solution, she has the pineapple juice solution part one and part two, and she will tell you exactly how to use it. So that is how we did our starter. And we will let you know next week how our breads are, will come out. I'm very excited about it. I've wanted to make bread for a long time and uh, put, put our put our spent grain to better use. Although I'm also f- excited to feed the chickens that we met. We, we still have to do that. Oh, yeah, Matt, right. if you're out there listening, we're coming to visit, visit the chickens very soon. <laughs> anyway, today, today is our 100th episode and our guest in the studio live is David Kareko. <laughs> 
Hi, David. Hi. Hey, you did it. I did it. I, I got the name right. It's a first for this show. There was a I lot think. of practice before we went on there. Let me just tell you that. A small little lesson. So, David, you are of the City Foundry and Industry City Distillery. Before we get into what those are, who are you? Well, outside of that, where, where, where's the story before these things? Um, well, before this, I, I've, I've lived in the city for about 12 years. Right. Um, where are you from originally? New Jersey, so right. I didn't go too far. Uh, but I came here for school, and um, before I was a vodka machine maker, distiller, <laughs> um, I was doing all kinds of R&D projects, small ones, um, did some programming, did some graphic design. Uh, during school, I made my money doing set design for music videos, so I've done a little bit of everything. Oh, man, that's cool. Then the City Foundry was born when was the city foundry born so the city, city the city founder was born because of a fish tank uh, <laughs> yeah so before we were doing um vodka uh or, <laughs> or distilling or fermenting or anything like that i was doing these self-contained underwater ecosystems and um i got a little carried away with the whole self-contained thing making it as energy efficient as possible as closed looped as possible and then i started cheating I started uh, injecting CO2 into the tanks to make the plants grow better. Um, and um, the big problem with that is that I didn't make it simple. The simple <laughs> way is you go and you buy yourself some compressed CO2 and a regulator, and it's easy. And pump it through. Right. It. Or you can start fermenting things and then collecting, compressing, and scrubbing the gas <laughs> and injecting that. Um, we fully approve it. So I thought that's how I was going to start the City Foundry. Um, and then what I started doing was experimenting with the leftovers from the fermented CO2 or the CO2 fermentation project. And then my friends sort of staged a little intervention. They're like, you know, we understand you like these, these fish tanks and all, but maybe you, if you really want to support this whole like art and science idea, maybe you should just start making alcohol. Because so. you were anyway as a process of the whole CO two collection, right? It was like it was, it was a waste product, and as an energy efficiency project, to have a waste product that's pretty dumb. So, so you were stuff. fermenting things, but weren't keeping the fermentations. Uh, I was, but they they I, I, I tried all kinds of things. Um, beer wasn't particularly uh, a good fit because it didn't make as much CO two as I needed. Mm -hmm. um, more of the high grav, the higher the gravity. And the sort of the faster the fermentation, the better it was for me. Uh, beer wasn't a great fit. So you're collecting the CO2. Pat, put, did you put it in tanks? Yeah, I actually okay. I wound up um, collecting it, uh, scrubbing it, so removing any of the trace gases, and then compressing it into tanks. Huh. So it was really stupid. So how did? But kind of cool. This? But cool. <laughs> yeah. Totally cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how did how do you do that? <laughs> do you really want to go into that? Do you really, kinda, really? Okay. I mean, magic is just another well, word for science. But you're because you're basically capture. So it's a closed system, right? Yeah. So you're capturing and then separating filter. You what kind of filter like an air filter? Or? Um, I did well. I did particle filtering. Uh, I did moisture filtering. So you have to dry the gas. Uh, and then the last bit that I did with at the time I didn't know much about fermenting at all. This was actually my first foray into fermenting things. Uh, and the fermentations I was making were just nasty. Uh, they they threw off all kinds of sulfur. They 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 had all kinds of badness. Uh, so I was actually using a copper mesh filtering system to remove a lot of the sulfur. 
uh, before I started compressing it. But the uh, compressed CO2 still had like a really fruity note to it. And I didn't know, I didn't know anything at the time. I know now that it was the ester content right. of uh, the fermentation. But it was kind of funny in that I was injecting fruity CO2 into my <laughs> right. fish tank. I wonder, I mean, the fish seemed to like it. Uh, what were you, so what were you, what was your, um, your, your sugar source? Uh, it was just sugar. Well, I tried a lot of things. Um, I started with um, I started with rice, flaked rice. So uh, it's already been through the mill. It's already been converted mostly. Uh, I did I did corn. I did I did rye. I did all kinds of things. Um, I was doing all grain mashes basically, <laughs> without even knowing what the heck that was, uh, which turned out to be really again kind of dumb for what i was trying to do but it was um at the time i was like oh well i'll make beer i'll i'll do all these other things so uh it was kind of a giant roundabout way to where we are now uh this is right on varick not too far from here actually i had a little 800 square foot space that is basically a miniature version of the city foundry um before i i i uh upped it up (laughs) That's <laughs> All right. So, what is the city foundry? That's a that, so that's that's a long sort of drawn out question, but I'll try to sum it up. <laughs> um, so, the city foundry is a small scale research and development group. Uh, by small, I mean like Pico, uh, Nano, and uh, the idea was to take all of the advantages and advances that you see in uh, large scale industry and miniaturize them. So it's it's really easy to make five cookies, ten cookies. It's really, really easy also to make 50,000 cookies. It's really hard to make 500 cookies. There's not a lot of technology out there that lets you bring the advantages of the 50,000 cookie batch in the five cookie ease with the accuracy. So the idea of the City Foundry was to use science, blend that with a healthy quantity of art to further both. So um, it, it, it's a very broad sort of explanation, but that's exactly what it was, uh, is, I should say. It still it, it exists. It, it, it exists. It exists. It, it's a thing. <laughs> yeah. The city foundry built Industry City Distilling. Yeah. So what we did is in order to kick off the city foundry, we needed a big project. Uh, we needed a project that would showcase this this idea of research and development. But there's also another core belief to the City Foundry in that um, we wanted to make these commercial enterprises as a way to uh, pay for the science and the art that went into it. It's really, really hard to get grants for kind of out there projects. And trust me, our projects are considered fairly out there. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> Uh, the idea was to make basically an unlimited research and development budget by making products. Um, so the first major project of the City Foundry became Industry City Distillery. Uh, we were going to use all of the chemical engineering, the biological engineering, um, as well as our fabrication skills and, well, product design. Well, we're working on that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we were going to show just what this model could do. Could booze pay for science and art? 
that was the idea. So we first met Dave when we went to a benefit that was held at Industry City Distillery. And we had not been there yet, but we were standing over looking. You have this window yeah. from the kind of your tasting room area, mm-hmm. I guess, um, that is kind of this mad scientist looking. It's like it's the flux capacitor, capacitor yeah. <laughs> of Industry City. Yes, and we're, we're looking at it. And so Dave comes over and we start talking to him. And it turns out that what we were looking at was your firm, part of your fermentation system. Yeah, pretty much the entire fermentation system. And, it, and it's out using... Encapsulated yeast, yeah, alginated yeast, yeah, mobilized encapsulated yeast cells, yeah. So, which we've had, we knew a little bit b- about before, mm-hmm. but um, anyway, it was absolutely amazing. So, let's start there and tell us a little bit about the encapsulated yeast and sure. What, what, well, what, what? First of all, just for, for people that don't know, <laughs> what is it? <laughs> it's real simple. Um, it's basically an immobilized. Uh, so there's an immobilization of microbes, and then there's encapsulation of microbes. All things that are encapsulated are immobilized, but not all things immobilized are encapsulated. Okay. You know, rectangles versus squares. Uh, so what we did is we took fresh yeast cells that we grow in-house. Uh, we centrifuged them out into, like, a paste, uh, sort of like yeast peanut butter. Uh, and then we mix it with something called alginate. So you're basically removing a lot of the liquid. All of it. All of it. All, okay. all, all, most, most of it. Um, okay. Yeah. And uh, what we do is then we mix that with alginate. Alginate's a kelp extract. It doesn't really taste like anything. Uh, it's used in a lot of uh, food prep. It's kind of like vegan jello. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Sounds delicious. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got an interesting texture. It's got like it's got like it's got like a funny snap to it when you eat it. Uh, so what we do is we mix the two together. And then we, uh, we actually just extrude them out of hundreds of needles. Uh, and they drip through the air, and they sort of form a sphere due to the surface tension. They go plop right into a bath of a calcium solution and go from a liquid to a solid. Okay. So it's, it's, it's not, it's not um, they look like these tiny little, like, millimeter and a half spheres, uh, but they're not solid. You can almost think of them as being, like, as if you took a giant net put a bunch of yeast in this giant net and then crumpled it into a ball. So it's porous. It's, inc- it's incredibly porous. Mm-hmm. Um, so the pores are smaller than the yeast cells. Uh, so the yeast okay. are held in place in this, this mesh ball. Um, and then the, uh, the liquid, the wort, the mash, whatever you want to call it, the medium, is able to move through the yeast ball. Uh, the the yeast inside are able to uh, interact with the liquid, and then all of the products are able to exit the ball with the yeast staying inside of it. So it has a huge amount of advantages. It's just a pain in the ass to make it. Yeast generally quadruples itself with every ferment. How did how does it not break the alginated capsule? Eventually, the uh, the alginate beads do degrade. Okay. Uh, in our case, in about two and a half months worth of constant use, so three hundred and sixty-five, uh, sorry, uh, you know, twenty-four hours a day mm-hmm. uh, use, they 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 eventually start to lose mechanical stability, and they'll break apart. Um, but what happens is that we have so much yeast in such a small area that they, they slow their metabolism in terms of cell division. Not in terms of eating. Okay. Uh, they still, believe me, they produce. Uh, they just don't reproduce as fast. Right. They don't divide as quickly. Um, they actually very slowly. We stay fairly static 
uh, in terms of uh, cell load. And tell us these yeasts. We're, we're, we have to take a break in a second, but so these yeasts. What's the advantage you get? Tell us your alcohol oh, by sure. volume. Uh, so we make fourteen percent alcohol every twenty-four hours. Yes. Uh, and every one of our mobilized cell reactors take up about six by six inches of floor space. They're about seven feet tall. Uh, and each one makes the equivalent of about a thousand bottles of vodka every month. Uh, or in beer terms, uh, they make about four finished kegs of 7% beer every day. It's amazing. Yeah. And with that, we're going to take a brief break. We'll be right <laughs> back with more. For man about it. The International Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. It is so exciting to have this new medium. Hosting After the Jump has been a huge part of me transitioning from being a blogger to somebody who has sort of real important conversations with people in real life. My show, I, I kind of describe it as an audio trade magazine. I learn a ton from the guests every week, whether it's, it's restaurants, bars. All the hosts at Heritage all come from different perspectives. Everyone should be listening to this. If you're interested in conservation and and practical approach to renewable food sources, you know, not this big industry. Whether it's history, uh, laws, social policies of food, I think people now take food seriously, and hopefully what's on their plate will become something very special. And I feel that podcasting has a future, giving people information in a format they can really use on the go. We need your support to keep these conversations going. To donate, visit heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate. Fun man about it over here. We're in, we're in the studio, our 100th episode, with David Kareko of Industry City Distillery. That's drinkicd.com. We're talking about alginated yeast uh, and this and the uh, – well, junior is the next step. Sure. We'll, we'll get back to that. Yeah, but, yeah. but let's talk about the alginated yeast. and It's encapsulated yeast. It gets in touch with, with the sugar content. Mm-hmm. Now, I've heard in the past that you are able to wash these. And how do you do that without, sure. without killing? And what, what kind of yeast did you encapsulate? So we, uh, we grow our yeast on site. Uh, we have to. We, uh, so I, I, I did lots. So we've been developing this for about three years. And um, my first experiments were I had to choose a yeast strain. So I played with champagne yeasts. I played with distilling yeasts um, since we were going to distill the final product. Uh, I, I played with beer yeasts, ale yeasts, wine yeasts, and some fuel yeasts even. And um, ironically, we wound up going with a sugar beet yeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we make sugar beet vodka, beet sugar vodka. 
And um, it wasn't like, oh, of course, we're going to find the beet sugar vodka yeast. It just so happened that I got my hands on a sample of it, and it had this amazing ester profile. Uh, it had pretty good thermotolerance. It had great osmotic tolerance. And sort of fit all of my basic parameters. So, wait, this was a yeast that was found on sugar beet? Yeah, or in-, in France. Okay. It was isolated in France on sugar beets. Cool. What uh, else What else is, are people using it for? Fuel. Fuel. Believe oh, it or okay. not. Okay. It, it was, it was uh, considered a fuel yeast. And um, it, it, it's, I mean, I imagine people raising it for fuel don't give a crap about its ester content, but it was, it was nice, really floral, really dense, um, and very, very, very low amounts of fusel alcohols. What temperature are you, so you're getting 14% alcohol mm-hmm. in, 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 in 24 hours. You got it. At what temperature? 30 degrees Celsius. 30 degrees Celsius. Which is warm for most uh, fermentations. Was that 80, 85? 90? Uh, it's about, I think about, I, think, I want to say it's about 85 or 84, okay. something like that. I, my, from, my, my Celsius yeah. to, I don't, I, I don't I know. I'm still working it out. Got to go to the unit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And, so, and, and then uh, with that, you're taking this liquid and you're distilling it. So you're not as concerned about, well, you are concerned with the esters. Oh, extremely. So extremely. what is it? What is, what are the flavors like that? With, well, well, with, well, the reason why we're so, we're so interested in the, in the flavors is um, the basic definition of vodka. So a lot of people think that the basic definition of vodka is that it has to be tasteless and odorless and colorless. That's not exactly true. Mm-hmm. It's that it can't taste like its base source. So if you've ever had a vodka that's supposed to taste like potatoes, that's not a vodka. Uh, or if somebody is like telling you about, like, oh, it tastes like the soft winter weed of the Midwest, well, that's a wheat odevie. Congratulations. <laughs> not a vodka. All right. uh, so for us to make a categorically correct vodka... It can't taste like sugar beets. Okay. So what we were very interested in is like, well, then if you can't make the flavor of the vodka come from the source material, how do you make flavorful vodka? The answer is fermentation, 100%. So we were incredibly interested in the ester content and preserving that ester content through the entire process. So it's a pretty lengthy process. It's not just fermentation. But you have two distillation phases as well. And it has to, you have to create this very delicate, as you know, um, aroma. And mm-hmm. it has to somehow survive two very intensive heating and cooling processes. Right. So it was a, it was a heck of a problem, but that's what we do. And so are those esters really, really bold and, and, with with this yeast there is that that base that 14 percent so so li- liquid yeah so the the ingoing product is chemically pure beet sucrose okay uh it doesn't taste like anything and then um what the resulting product tastes like is kind of like a very full-bodied cider uh there's a lot of fruit esters in this yeast and um it's it's interesting stuff to drink uh, because of because of the way that we make it, you don't necessarily want to drink it. Uh, it has a lot of salts in it, actually. But uh, yeah, the ester content is primary. But you have played with other. You told us you did cider. Right? Sure. No, and we do that every. We do that every every year. We do a little bit of cider. So tell us a little bit about that because <laughs> I know people have are going to be curious about you know what else can you use? Sure. Because technically, I mean, technically, you could alginate any of. Sure. Any yeast sure. at all. Encapsulate, yeah. Encapsulate. Absolutely. 
Um, so the uh, the cider that we did, uh, or we have done, or we I mean we fermented everything from uh, apple cider to Coca Cola, uh, just be- to see if we could. Yeah. You know. <laughs> nasty, but you could. Uh, and the the cider that we made it finishes dry in about six hours. So it's a little dodgy if you don't catch it correctly. Six hours, yeah. So if you don't catch it correctly, um, it's very easy to over-ferment. You get no residual sugars. Uh, The yeast strain that we use is incredibly aggressive. And it will start to... It winds up tasting bad. You can can make too dry of a cider. You can over-ferment your... Uh, your your batches and it's very easy with a yeast like this. I fell asleep once, uh, woke up and it was everything was done, too done. It's <laughs> not good. But this is one of the advantages that you have with encapsulated yeast. You can cut it off in the middle of fermentation, sure. right? And be like, and it'll because it's encapsulated and because none of none of the uh, the, the the reproduction is, is escaping the capsule. Right. It, there's nothing left in suspension to finish well, off it, any residual sugars. Not right? exactly nothing. We, we, we lose, we do, um, some of the new cells do escape. Uh, the, the, the mash um, doesn't look perfectly clear. It looks a bit okay. like a Hefeweizen in okay. terms of density. Uh, but compared to most, I mean, compared to most fermentations, a Hefeweizen is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the, so in our case, we, don't use a static fermenter. We don't have a big vat that we throw the, the encapsulated cells in. We use these upflow immobilized cell bioreactors. So our our which is, what, was, which, which is what you have in that window, right? Which is what you were looking at, and you're like, what? Which the is heck what? Is describe going that. On here? Yeah. So, so describe what we saw. Uh, so uh, the bioreactors are these sort of like six inch by six inch you, glass and stainless steel machines that we've made uh they are about four inches of tubing and about seven feet high and um each one of them is then loaded up with these mobilized cells sort of packed solid and what we do is we pump our uh our wart our mash whatever you want to call it into the bottom uh and then the yeast act upon that liquid and by the time it comes out the top it's much change. So this is generally <laughs> top fermenting yeast, but it's sitting at the bottom because of the weight of the algae. No, uh, it, it's not. It's not. It's like not necessarily it's not top applicable. fermenting or bottom fermenting. Right. It's not applicable. Uh, we you can take anything. We we don't even have to use yeast. We can use lactobacillus. We can use sure. Cetobacter. We can do whatever we want. Really, you actually don't even have to use whole cells. You can use enzymes. So if I if I ever wanted yeah. to like, I can encapsulate an amylase enzyme. Uh, and so then, then you could do like a mash with that, right? I mean, right? You could do oh, a sacrification very... process using uh, just an immobilized cell reactor without cells, using enzymes. So the technology that we we created, it's actually nothing new. Uh, I mean, immobilized cell technologies have been around for several decades. Um, what we have done though is made them incredibly effective uh, and fairly easy to maintain. They're, they're a giant pain in the ass to develop, but once they get going, um, the pro- productivity is great. Two and a half months at a clip, not stopping at all. Yeah. So going back to the process, you're pumping the wort through the bottom. You got it. Or, or whatever. Whatever you want to call it. Sure. Is there, do you have a picture online of, that we could point people to? Oh, um, your best source of pictures are our website, drinkicd.com. 
Um, and then, really, if you are curious about what we're up to, check out our Instagram. Uh, so either at DrinkICD or uh, really check out The City Foundry. So that's uh, thecityfoundry.com and The City Foundry on Instagram. Uh, we're not bashful about the technology. Uh, if you have any questions, let us know. And we'll, we'll, or come on. Uh, we do tours every, sun, every Saturday at 3 p.m. Uh, it's a heck of a tour. It's about an hour and a half long. And you get to see the machines that make the machines that make the machines that make the <laughs> uh, So how fast is this liquid going through? I'm going to keep this on the topic sure, sure, sure. until, no, we're, done describing, yeah. until we're done describing what so, it is so it's So uh, it's a continuously recirculating process. So uh, we're currently on Mark IV of the bioreactor system. There was a one, two, three, and now four. Uh, Mark I was basically cobbled together, glued together, weird-looking pieces. Uh, Mark II was sort of like a like a Mark II was Mark II was a problem. It was pressurized; it tended to explode. So we got away from that. Uh, <laughs> Mark III was an incredibly complicated, pure, continuous system, not recycling recirculating at all uh it was actually flow through so fresh wort constantly introduced and fresh fermented constantly flowing out so that, no that was very slow then or no it was, it was it was just as it was just as fast but it required a lot of control systems so constantly measuring ph uh multiple pumping regimens all these it was it was more trouble than it was worth yeah honestly um, so Mark IV is roughly 90% as efficient as Mark III, uh, but 10 times easier to maintain. And when you look at like the downtime, the potential for disasters and things like that, sometimes you got to dumb it down a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's not necessarily worth the extra 10% efficiency. Right. It's like, oh, bummer, it's 24 hours instead of 22 hours. Right. Uh. right. <laughs> yeah. What is junior? Ah, junior. So the other half of this equation is the distilling. So we've spent all of this time um, breeding this yeast, all this time, um, which I don't know if you wanted to talk about Werner or anything like that. About what? Uh, the yeast propagator that we built. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back there. Um, all right. Real quickly, Werner. Uh, so Werner's our 1983 East German-built bioreactor that we bought on eBay. Uh, it was entirely destroyed, and I do mean entirely. The thing did not work at all. Uh, it's got three fairly rare power supplies. It's got two different voltage sources. It's very annoying. Um, but we bought it for less than the cost of the shipping. <laughs> nice. Um, and uh, we, have a, we have two machine shops and a biolab. So if we can't figure out how to make the sucker work, we're probably in the wrong business. <laughs> so Zach uh, pulled it apart in the shop, made it work mechanically. I worked on the control systems. And what Werner does is it lets us actually program our yeast. So we don't just grow our yeast, but we program them. Train We, we train them how to eat. Uh, so we have this starter strain, this, this French sugar beet yeast, and it's awesome stuff, but it's not quite exactly what we want. Uh, so what we do is we start with a pure strain from them, uh, and then we will uh, about 120 grams worth dry cell. Mm -hmm. And what we'll do is over the next 12 hours, we'll turn it into about four and a half kilos wet cell. Wow. Yeah, it's a big, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, so what the system lets us do is let us lock them into a continuous exponential cycle. 
they never actually get out of the exponential cycle. Not until I turn the machine off. Wow. Uh, and they only eat what we give them. Uh, we feed them entirely on oxygen. So they're, they're entirely raised aerobically. And, and um, they learn how to eat the sucrose that we provide them. Uh, they adapt to the nitrogen source that we provide them. And um, this sort of forms the basis of our ester profile. How are they going to be happy? Because as soon as the yeast become unhappy, they start throwing sulfur, they, right. all these sort of things. We don't produce sulfur in our ferments at all. Um, and it's partially because of the way they were raised. Good upbringing. Yeah. Yeast positive. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we could do that with anything with Werner. Werner is a pretty awesome piece of technology. You bring me an apple from a field, I can culture it and give you a couple of kilos of apple yeast. Very cool. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see where that goes. Um, I should mention that, that the biolab and the, and the shop are not industry city distillery. That's the city foundry. Okay. So everything made in the shop and the lab is for the distillery. Uh, but it isn't necessarily a distillery. Right. Industry City Distillery is, is kind of the product that comes you got come, it. Come out, come yeah. out of the city foundry. It's a little complicated. And then the consider- vodka is a product that comes out of Industry City yeah, Distillery. Yeah, products within products within products <laughs> right. within products. And it's a little complicated because, you know, there's just two guys running the whole thing. Yeah, you guys and are then, hard, right? Yeah, and then, and then they're the same guys that are running the other company. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. It's like we say we a lot, and we really mean us or I. Yeah. <laughs> Depends on who's on shift. I dig it. Yeah. So back to you, Junior. junior. Oh, Junior. Yeah. Right. After so, Werner, there's Junior. Right. So the other half of the equation is distillation. And um, we've spent all this time making this awesome ester profile. It'd be a real shame if we messed it up. So traditionally, distillation hasn't really changed since the Stone Ages. You take a pot, you put a bunch of goop into it, you heat up the goop, and you collect the stuff that comes out the top. That's distillation. Those are the science words that I use. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Done make some goop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and what we wanted to do was um, look toward scientific and industrial distillation processes. Uh, distillation processes that are incredibly accurate. Because it's like, what's the point of making all of these compounds if they're going to get lost? Right. Um, because, as you know, compounds aren't stable. You change a couple degrees here or there, and all of a sudden you just lost your entire aroma. So we developed two different fairly unusual distillation machines. Uh, the first one, called Ivy, is a continuous still, which is wacky in that it doesn't have a boiler. So we removed the goop boiler thing. Um, and that lets us basically as quickly as possible concentrate our flavors so we go from 14 percent to 70 percent all in one pass without a boiler without a boiler it uses what's called a separation column it's a continuous process too so it's not like in the beginning of the day you load up the boiler and the end of the day you let it cool off and you scrub out your boiler and start over again uh this thing will run for days at a time if we didn't have to sleep uh it's a very different design than what's typically out there and the really cool thing about it is that you don't get this overboiling cooking effect uh, because you don't necessarily want to overcook your flavors. You don't want them to break down and recombine because you've got this highly biological soup. It's not going to just sort of let you sort of poke at it. It's going to turn into something else. 
So the goal with that machine was to take out all those volatile components as quickly as possible. And how does that work? Oh, boy. <laughs> we might have to save that. I'm just going to put you, put you on warning right now. All right. <laughs> Uh, would the term multi-phase heat exchangers mean anything to you? Sure. Okay, cool. Then we're good. Um, so from there, we've made this sort of like concentrated, ultra-flavorful melange of chemicals. Uh, the next step is where it gets cool, and that's where Junior comes into play. So the next step, we employ a uh, laboratory analytical technique called fractional distillation. Again, this is not something new. We did not invent fractional distillation. But we are doing something absolutely ridiculous, which is using it to make vodka. Uh, we almost didn't call it vodka. Our goal was to make a flavorful spirit that took advantage of the technology that we were building. We just kind of had to call it vodka because it fit I was gonna the say category. That, yeah, like the essence. You know, these liquor laws that yeah, you, know, you have yeah, to. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole <laughs> other to. <laughs> whole other whole other story. We're not going to go there. Um, so this machine, this fractional distillation machine. Um, it takes advantage of a number of different chemical and physical properties to act like a chemical scalpel. So rather than us taking these sort of large cuts and calling it, well, this is going to make you blind, and this you can drink, and this smells like diesel fuel. Instead of doing that, we're, we're able to go, well, actually, that doesn't make you blind. There's only one component that makes you blind, so we'll remove that. And now those are flavors. And then everything in the middle, well, maybe stuff in there is actually not that tasty. So we'll, we'll you know, re-examine that. And then the stuff in the diesel fumes region, or is it scotch? Hmm. So what fractional distillation lets us do is bump that into individual components. So instead of taking three cuts, which is traditionally called the heads, the hearts, and the tails, mm -hmm. we take 30. Uh, and those 30 cuts are incredibly different. And to do that, we needed to build stills that could do that. Um, so these stills are massively powerful in terms of separation. Um, if they were, it, our stills are also very tiny. You've seen them. They're, they're you know, yeah. they're really tiny. Uh, so what we've done is we've built stills that you can't necessarily buy off of like the craft catalog, you know, the, the distillers like craft catalog. Right. Um, we've made stills that if they were made in that style would be 45 to 70 feet tall, uh, which obviously isn't going to work. So, um, in your location, in our, lo well, yeah. in, 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 in most, in most locations, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, really... <laughs> so the way that, um, the way that we approach all things is that you come up with an idea, you test the idea. If the idea doesn't work, you come up with a new idea. You test that idea. And then you move on. Once it works, you build another version. You move on, make it bigger, make it bigger. So um, we've been working on our prototype stills for the past three years. Uh, those little machines have been cut apart and put together again so many times, it's ridiculous. Junior, however, is our first ever prototype uh, production still. It's still not that big. It's only 12 feet tall. It's like three feet on a side. Um, You're only distilling two barrels of, of base liquid at a time, right? Uh, well, it's, 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 that's also the funny part, is that because we're running a continuous still... Um, it's not the, applicable. It's, it's, it's concentrated, through. yeah. yeah okay. it's, it's, you're, gotcha. you're not talking about 
about about you know like thirty barrels worth of liquid in two barrels. Right. Uh, so it's it's uh, it's it's there's a lot of like head scratching maths that goes on. Believe me, it gets me every time. It's like <laughs> how many how many wait how many fermentations are in this? Right. Uh, it's because our processes are so continuous. Uh, but Junior, Junior's entire departure, there's uh, 16 different temperature sensors. Uh, sorry, there's eight different temperature sensors. There's 16 different sensors. Uh, this machine was designed to really tell us what the heck is going on uh, and to really play around with the flavors even more. Because this entire project was about flavors. It was about creating them biologically. Uh, it was about harnessing them as quickly and as efficiently as possible and then knocking them out and making them components in the creation of a distilled spirit. So it's not, it's not chance. It's not different every time. It's not small batch. Mm-hmm. It's just good distillation and fermentation. So it's, it's a little bit of a departure from the craft movement, but we think that they can work together. Uh, we really do. I agree. <laughs> Me too. And on that note, we're going we to wrap up. We have to call it. We're 10 over. Yeah. But thank you very, very much, David Carreco. Yeah. Carreco. It's all the beer. <laughs> the beer is good. We haven't even, yeah, we haven't even been drinking the vodka. <laughs> no, we haven't gotten the vodka yet. So tell, tell people your website again. Yeah. Please check out uh, drinkicd.com. Um, and also technicalreserve.com, which is our brand new, totally wacky product. Uh, it's literally azotropic alcohol. It's going to be fun. And then also the city foundry. Also the city foundry.com. Um, also we're on the Facebooks and the Instagrams and the Twitters and all that. So link up and support the yeah, doings. It's yeah. awesome, fascinating, and uh, educational, and always always a treat yeah. to, to hang with you and taste your wares. Saturdays. We do tours on Saturdays. Mary, what? go. I'm just going to say a reminder that Heritage Radio Network Thanks. is a not-for-profit <laughs> radio station and that we would appreciate your support. Not only is Femen About It part of Heritage Radio Network, but there are a ton of other absolutely amazing shows 36? on the channel. So if you would go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate, we need your help. Trying to, trying to raise as much as we can before 2015 so that we can continue through 2015 and bring you many more, 100 more shows just like this one. Thank you, David Krayko. You got it. <laughs> For men about it over here. For men, For men about it. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Like a red